Hey, LCC family, Pastor Ronald here, and welcome to our April 26th video broadcast of our Sunday service, or how I've affectionately started calling them, our digital wanderings in the digital wilderness. Um, it's been seven Sundays since the last time we have gathered together. Uh, it's surreal. It's weird. Uh, it's certainly not getting any easier and certainly not getting any more enjoyable. But, but we rejoice in knowing that even though we are far apart, we rejoice in knowing that God is near to us and that he is doing something in us as a church and in you personally as a believer. Just a few seconds, I'll toss it over to Eric, and he's going to lead us in a couple of songs. But let's go ahead and turn our hearts and our minds to the Lord and ask him to be with us as we draw near to him in worship. Let's pray together. Father, your word has said that it is good to gather in your house. Lord, your word has also said that you have made this day. This is the, Lord, the day the Lord has made. Father, this day is the day that you devised in your mind before time began, Lord. So we take full security and assurance, Lord, and we can rest in knowing that nothing about what's been happening in this season and nothing about what's happening today is outside of your will and outside of your design. Father, so we come to you asking that you would encourage our hearts, that you would lead our singing, Father, that you would fill us with your spirit to know you and, and experience you, Lord, and connect with you in ways we haven't. Father, do this for us now, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. Well, good morning, Lakeview. It's good to be able to sing together again. I don't know how you've been uh, participating in the service during these times of singing, uh, but I'll just encourage you, uh, I know this is awkward, I know it's weird not, not being together and not all, like seeing all of our faces worshiping, seeing us raising our hands, uh, maybe you're just looking at this on your phone in your bedroom while you're laying in bed, um, but I just want to remind us from God's Word, I think God wants to remind us from His Word that this is a good thing that we do together each week, and even though it's different for us right now, it's still a good thing that we sing praises to Him. Uh, so let's look at God's word and hear him call us to worship uh, from Psalm 92. It says this, It is good to give thanks to the Lord. Think about what you can thank the Lord for this morning. It's good to give thanks to the Lord, to sing praises to your name, O Most High, to declare your steadfast love in the morning. That's what we're going to do. We're going to declare his love and your faithfulness by night. God has been faithful to us. It's good for us to declare that to him. And to do that to the music of the lute and the harp and the piano and the acoustic guitar and the electric guitar, to the melody of the lyre. For, this is why, for you, O Lord, have made me glad by your work. At the works of your hands, I sing for joy. Let's do that. Let's sing to the Lord. Let's declare his works. Let's rejoice in his grace together as we sing. breaks the power who breaks the power of sin and darkness whose love is mighty and so much stronger the king of glory the king above all kings who shakes the whole earth 
with holy thunder who leaves us breathless in awe and wonder the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you laid down your life for us that i would be set free jesus i sing for all that you've done for me yes sing of all you've done who brings our chaos who brings our chaos back into order who makes the orphan a son and daughter the king of glory the king above all kings rules the nations with truth and justice shines like the sun in all of its brilliance the king of glory the king above all kings this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that i would be set free Jesus, I sing for all that you've done for me. Sing of all you've done, Lord. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. Worthy is the King who conquered the grave. Worthy is the Lamb who was slain. You're worthy. Worthy is the King conquer the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy 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 oh this is amazing grace this is unfailing love that you would take my place that you would bear my cross you lay down your life that i would be set free jesus i sing for all that you've done for me sing worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy is the king who conquered the grave worthy is the lamb who was slain worthy 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 oh we sing to you jesus
the grace of God. The grace of God has reached for me and pulled me from the raging sea. And I am safe on the solid ground. The Lord is my salvation. I will not fear. I will not fear when darkness falls. His strength will help me scale these walls. And see the dawn of the rising sun. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the strong to save faithful in love my debt is paid and the victory won the Lord is my hidden in the Lord. This is what he does. He flowers each promise of his word. Believe that, Lord. I know interfaith. I know spring will come. The Lord is my salvation. In times of waiting, times of need. In times of waiting, times of need. When I am weak, I know His grace will renew these days. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save. The Son, we give you glory, Lord. Glory be to God, the Spirit. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like? Who is like? Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to reach and when I reach 
my final day. He will not leave me in the grave, but I will rise. He will call me home. The Lord is my salvation. Who is like the Lord? Who is like the Lord our God? Strong to save, faithful in love. My debt is paid and the victory won. The Lord is our salvation. The Lord is our salvation. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Turn your eyes. Turn your eyes to the hillside where justice and mercy embraced. There the Son of God gave his life for us and our measureless debt was erased. Jesus, to you we lift our eyes. Jesus, our glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Turn your eyes to the morning and see Christ the lion awake. What a glorious dawn, fear of death is gone, for we carry his life in our veins. glory and our prize. We adore you, behold you, our Savior ever true. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you.
turn your eyes to the heavens our king will return for his own We turn our eyes to you. Oh, Jesus, we turn our eyes to you. Lord, we do turn our eyes to you, God. We look away Lord, from our own sinfulness, our own lethargy. We want to look away, God, from the difficulty and disaster and danger that we see around us. Lord, we want to look, turn our eyes to you. Lord, we want to look into your glorious face. Lord, and as we do that, Lord, we want everything to be put into perspective. We want everything to be seen as you see it, Lord, which, which means that we see everything is under your control and in your providence and under your sovereign hand. So help us, Lord, help our, our weak hearts, help our, our prone-to-wander hearts, Lord, to turn our eyes to you, Lord, to have trust in you, Lord, to see you as a steadfast, immovable, unshakable God. It's worthy of our praise, worthy of our allegiance and loyalty. Lord, so turn our eyes, Lord, help us to turn our eyes to you. Lord, I pray that as we, as we listen to your word in a few moments, Lord, you would turn our eyes to you as we consider and hear you speak to us through your word. Be glorified in our time, we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Eric and worship team. I've got some announcements, church, to hand your way. Before I do that, um, just a massive thank you to uh, Eric and the production team, Pete and Jordan. Um, Eric's been back with us for a couple weeks, and as you've noticed, um, what we're able to uh, transmit to you guys in terms of quality and creativity has increased with his return to uh, the office. So, dude, thank you so much for uh, doing that for us. But, you know, in times um, like these, in times of the, uh, social distancing, uh, it's so easy to become socially disconnected. And, and what we've wanted to do um, the past month really is, is give um, more attention, more emphasis to some of our platforms, our online and medium platforms, so that we can, even though we are apart physically, uh, remain together. So I wanted to draw your attention to uh, a number of these digital platforms. Uh, the first one is YouTube. Um, YouTube has become a real uh, effective and, and, and a great tool for us to use as a local church. Uh, we want to encourage you guys to subscribe to our YouTube page. Uh, go to youtube.com forward slash Lakeview Christian Center, and you'll be able to access a number of different videos there. Our online services uh, are there. Uh, we have um, all sorts of different videos uh, that we're producing and that we have produced in, in the past, but that is a very 
very important place. So on your Roku device, on your Amazon Fire device, on your phone, on your smart TV, uh, if you have a YouTube account, go ahead and subscribe to our YouTube page and that'll help us be able to deliver content to you more quickly. Uh, and speaking of uh, content that we've been delivering uh, for the past uh, seven weeks or so, Pastor Keith uh, has been creating these midweek medicine videos. These are quick little uh, videos that serve as a spiritual medicine, as it were, just to help us uh, endure and live in these times uh, of just uncertainty and anxiety. Uh, you can find those videos as well as YouTube, uh, um, uh, but you can also look into our other social media platforms and find them. Um, continuing with this theme of uh, delivering things digitally, uh, we wanted to make it simpler for you guys to be able to, be able to find the content of, of our Alpha uh, video. So Alpha has, in fact, gone online, and you can find Alpha, our Alpha videos in two locations. If you go to our website, um, and if you go to our app, we would encourage you uh, to use those videos with your friends, to forward them to them, to, to go ahead and make connections with people that you've probably have been making connections with more. Uh, just yesterday, I heard this really interesting story of how um, the amount of time that people have been spending on their phone uh, talking has increased since COVID-19 took over the world. So use those opportunities to talk to folks and say, hey, listen, I'm going to send you this email. I'm going to send you this link to this alpha video. But to make it easier for you guys to find that content, you can find that content on our webpage and on our uh, church app. And, and then finally, we wanted to take um, this opportunity where it seems like uh, people have more time on their hands to do things that, that are not on the top of the list of priorities. If you were to go to Home Depot or Lowe's or try and buy anything that has to do with uh, organizing or cleaning, it's sold out all over the place, right? Because people are finally doing those tasks of, of organization. And, and so we've got one of those tasks, right? Our LCC senses. Um, we we want to know um, um, uh, who, who is really coming into our midst. Um, we, we've grown as a church in the past two, three years. Uh, and th this is just a way for you guys to uh, be able to receive information for, for, uh, for, from us more quickly. Uh, there's been a couple of instances where we send an email and it lands on maybe an old email address that you would have had or, or just an opportunity for us to update, for you to update um, your uh, information that we can contact you and deliver all this information more, more um, quickly. So go to our church app and you can um, fill out the LCC uh, census there. And then finally, as we transition into a time of giving, we, we, we just want to thank you, church, for the faithfulness that you have continued to display in a season of uncertainty. You have gone before the Lord and have said, Lord, these things belong to you. These resources belong to you. And we just encourage you to continue giving to the Lord and certainly thank you for the faithfulness that you've displayed. Um, let's go ahead and pray together as we take this week's offerings, and then Pastor Keith will come up and preach the word to us. Let's pray. Father, thank you, Lord, for in the midst of a time where there are a lot of questions, Lord, you are the God who are behind all those answers, Father. There is not a question you do not have an answer to, Father. There is not a moment that we can come to you, Lord, and not know that you are actually there, O oh Lord. You, you are with us. You have been with us, O oh Lord. So I pray that as we receive your word today, Father, that it would affect us and change us and mold us and lead us, O oh Lord, to living as gospel citizens, Lord, in an earthly realm. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
Well, good morning, Lakeview family. Well, we sure miss seeing you. Can't wait to be together. Before I get into the message, I couldn't help but notice in Ronald's uh, announcements, he used the word delivery about three or four times. I don't know if you caught that, but there's a lot of delivering besides digital delivering going on uh, right now. Uh, there are two couples that we are celebrating with who have delivered little ones this past week, Emily and Andy Thomas have welcomed a little girl, and Josh and Sherry uh, Green have welcomed a little boy. And the reason why Ronald keep using that word is because uh, perhaps today, uh, Andrea and Ronald will be welcoming a little boy as well. Little boy, if I'm remembering correctly, as well. Or it could be a surprise. Is it a girl? All right, it's a girl, and they already know. They already know. All right, so congratulations to those guys, and please keep all of them in your prayers. Well, uh, hard to believe, week number seven of uh, this, it, it seems like it's gone by very quickly and at the same time taken forever, uh, but I'm sure you feel that way as well. Well, we've been doing something during this unique period to take advantage of the unique setting that events like this provide for our hearts, and you know, you know our hearts spiritually are connected to our ears. Right, so we, could, we have the ability to hear some things in moments like these that we may not have had an ear to hear. Remember, Jesus even spoke to crowds that way. He says, he who has an ear, let him hear. So there's moments in which our hearing isn't always in the same condition. And walking through this event has postured us to hear some things from God. And, and we've wanted to be sensitive to that. And so uh, as a catch-all phrase, I've entitled the series that we've kind of been developing as we walk through this period, The COVID Chronicles. And this will be part seven. And here's my title today. COVID-like setbacks and the plan of God. I want to feature a couple of thoughts in that, that title. COVID-like setbacks. Uh, listen, this, this event has been unusual and it's, it's bumped into our lives in some rather significant ways. It's created a, a season of setback for us. But I also know this, that this, this is peculiar because it's going on for everybody right now, right? Everybody we know is going through this. Everybody in the world is going through this. So that's what makes this, this weird. That's what makes this setback catch our attention. But quite honestly, all of us have gone through seasons in our lives with significant setbacks, right? Moments in which we were doing life, things were going fine, and suddenly this collision with something that alters our course or stops us in our tracks or the things that we had hoped for, they don't look like they're going to arrive or we thought our life was going to become something and it's not going to be that. Those are significant setbacks in our lives. And I'd have to say, as big as this event has felt, if you've been through a, a significant relationship breakup, if you've gone through a divorce, if you have owned a business that you've invested in for years that suddenly the bottom fell out and, and your business failed and you had to go find something else to do with your life. If you're a young person who's lived in a location all your life and suddenly your family relocates to another part of the world where you don't know anybody, right? All these things create significant moments when we face a setback. Life got suddenly disrupted. So what I want to preach today, I don't want it to live just within this COVID world. Uh, 
I think we need to be aware that when we go through setbacks, God has a plan. And so that's, that's something, if you live through Katrina, you live through something like this, and, and we got to the other side of that and we discovered, wow, God had a lot of planning going into this event that was a setback for us, but look at what it turned into in God's hands. Well, I, I think this event has that kind of potential as well. God has a plan in the midst of this COVID-19 moment. And remember what we said last week, uh, God is an intentional God. He's involved in our lives. So that means every day has got God intentionality inside of it. We're not, we're not deists. You know what a deist is? A deist is a person who acknowledges that there's a higher power, there's a God who created everything, but he created it, sort of spun the world into motion, and then stepped back and let it take care of itself, and he's not engaged anymore. Well, that, that's not who we are. Not, you can't read the Bible and come up with a God who's that way. The God we believe in is intentional. He's involved every day. So you and I aren't living some random set of Mondays and Tuesdays and Wednesdays. Well, who knows what's going to happen? Well, it's another Monday, and we just live another Tuesday. And then, boom, on Wednesday, a COVID-19 event comes. Where did that come from? What does it mean? Uh, That's not the life we're living. We live in a world with an intentional God who has a plan. And that's what I want us to see from the scriptures today. We're going to be looking in Jeremiah in just a moment if you want to break your Bible out and look at that. But that phrase means something to me, significant. God has a plan for your life. It's a very, very significant phrase. And and, and I can remember having ears to suddenly hear that. The year is 1978. Uh, I am a young teenage high school student walking into a strange gathering in a gymnasium where a teacher is leading a Bible study for whosoever wants to come. Uh, That's our very own Frank Loria, by the way. And he used a phrase, and I didn't hardly know him at all at this point, but he, he just used the phrase, God has a plan for your life. And it was like slow motion words being written across the back wall of the gym. They stuck out to me and, and grabbed my curiosity. God has a plan for my life. This idea that there was a, a God who was intentional and involved and thinking about things pertaining to me and that I personally was noticed by him and that he had a future for me. He had things for my life. That phrase leapt out at me. What a precious, powerful phrase. I don't know if you've ever considered that. Maybe you're watching today and you, you trying to figure out who God is and what he's got going on. Hear those words. God has a plan for your life. That's how this God is. And he has a plan for our lives every day of our lives, including these moments that it looks like nobody can explain this. Uh, We've come off the rails and things are out of control. It's COVID-19 hour. Does God still have a plan? Well, I want to beam us into a particular location and to see how, how does setbacks figure into God having a plan. So that's, that's why we're going to head towards the location of Jerusalem and Babylon, and we're going to learn something about the Babylonian exile that took place um, primarily around 600 B.C., 
and the next 70 years is the center point for this, but it's a bigger event. It actually lasts a couple of hundred years of exile that are taking place beforehand with prophets that are speaking and then afterwards as they're trying to clean things up. But it, it's a major biblical event. Uh, and this should get your curiosity. I don't know if you've read much of the Old Testament. Uh, last week, uh, we were in the book of Isaiah, one of the prophets, and then this week, we're in the next book of the prophets, Jeremiah. And I, I noticed this week, I saw a infographic on how people read the Bible this past week. And it, it kind of said, which books do you tend to go to the most? Do you know which books people tend to go to the least? Uh, the books that we were in last week and the one we're in this week, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, they are the least read books by people who read the Bible. So I get that they're a little bit under, uh, challenging to understand, but don't overlook something. A third of the Bible, at least the Old Testament, is bound up in this event called the exile. The people of God being pulled out of their homeland that God blessed them with. Some of them will go to Assyria, and then years later, some will go to Babylon. And these two different kingdoms who have taken control of their lives are going to massively disrupt their lives. They're, they're their own COVID moment, right? And there's some similarities in these settings, uh, social distancing is a, is a word for us. Well, they were doing some social distancing. They used to live in Jerusalem. And then this thousand mile distance is where they're gonna live now. So socially, they were distant from everything that was part of their life and God relocated them a thousand miles away. There was economic shutdown when this happened. There was massive unemployment. You lived in and around Jerusalem and suddenly these hostile forces came and took you away from your home, your businesses, your flocks, the way in which you've made a living and you're about to be relocated to a place where you own nothing, you are a nobody and you're gonna have to figure out how do I provide for my family. So this was a significant event. Uh, they were actually taking off to be servants. So there was a, an element of bondage that was there. So um, kind of, brings new meaning to lockdown lifestyle. So they have some similarities to our lives that we're living through today, and they're a great place for us to learn some things about God. And the prophets, remember I said this last week, when you read the prophets, you're reading a, a messenger that God has sent to speak into current events, to explain them, to explain what God is doing and what God is going to be doing. And, and that's what they sound like. And for this moment, um, before Jeremiah shows up, and we're going to hear from him today, uh, the prophet Amos has already shown up years earlier. Micah, Hosea, Isaiah have all been speaking to God's people, trying to get their attention, trying to get them to listen and hear. And then finally, Jeremiah is going to show up. He's about a hundred years after Isaiah, who we heard from last week. And I don't want you to miss this because the prophets, they, they sound heavy-handed. They, they sound like they're correcting something. But when you listen carefully to how they're saying something, they're approaching God's people and, they, and they're, it's like they're saying, listen, you guys have driven your lives into a place where you cannot go any further. God is not going to let you go any further. So what's going to need to happen here is you're going to need to stop where you are and you're going to need to back up and redirect and get back on track with God. 
Now, when the prophets show up and say stop, they highlight the reasons why you got to stop. And that's where it sounds like you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this, you're not doing this. And so they, they just sound like these massive fault finders. But they're pointing that out to explain to you, this is why things need to stop right here at this moment. But the hope is God's not just looking to stop you and he's not just looking to punish them either. He actually wants them to back up and redirect and get back on track. So listen, I don't want to miss this because I think this is a moment like that. I I hope the world doesn't miss this moment. I hope every one of us doesn't miss this moment. I'm curious about all that God could be doing through such an event that has shut our world down. In some ways, could it be that the God who wants things for us, the God who has a plan for us, has stepped into our world and he said, stop right here, stop, back up, and let me redirect you so that you can live on track with my plan. I am very suspicious that's exactly what's going on in this moment. And, and I hope, and I hope you're, you're where I am. I, I want to welcome that. I don't want to just find, well, great, God's finding fault with something that I'm doing. I want to receive a God who loves me enough to say, stop, you're you're missing the point, Keith. You've made other things too important and they're out of place and I love you enough to stop you in your tracks, to shut everything about your world down and to let you back up a little bit and redirect you for the rest of your life because I have a plan, right? So, This is where we're going with listening to Jeremiah. Open up to Jeremiah chapter 25, and we'll get a a feel for what Jeremiah is trying to communicate in this hour to these people that God loves. Jeremiah 25 begins this way. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the fourth year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Now remember, Nebuchadnezzar is the the bad guy in this story. He's the the king of Babylon who is going to overrun parts of the world, including uh, God's people. And we're going to hear today why that is allowed to take place by God. Verse 2, which Jeremiah the prophet spoke to all the people of Judah and all the inhabitants of Jerusalem. Listen to what he says. For 23 years, from the 13th year of Josiah, the son of Ammon, king of Judah, to this day, the word of the Lord has come to me, and I have spoken persistently to you. But you have not listened. You have neither listened nor inclined your ears to hear. Although the Lord persistently, there's that word again, sent to you all his servants, the prophets, saying, turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given you and your fathers from of old. Right, so here in this setting, God shows up And he he makes them 
aware of something that they obviously are not aware of, even though it's been true. Jeremiah says, God has been speaking to you through me for 23 years. And in before me, God was speaking to you through these other prophets. But you didn't listen. So it's very possible that they get caught off guard by this whole event because they just do in life, right? They've, they believe in God and they're doing life. And suddenly Jeremiah shows up and he says, no, 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 this, this is not okay. As a matter of fact, God's about to do something radically upside down because this is just not okay. Now, now before we get to a moment that feels like it turned our lives upside down, can we pay attention to something here? God has been speaking for years. God has been speaking to a people saying, stop, stop. You're getting off track. Stop, stop. I'm calling to you. I'm speaking to you. I'm sending people to tell you things. Listen, listen. All this time, they're not listening. And something really, really radical now is about to break into their world and turn it upside down. This is helpful for us to understand about our own condition. You know, there are moments in which God has been speaking to us that we are completely clueless about. We, we just don't sense it. We don't hear it. I, I don't know how many times I have engaged people in my office in a counseling setting where, where finally the exile event of their life has come. A, a setback, a significant setback has shown up in their life. And they come in and, and part of them is broken by the event and part of them is angry about the event. And so they're, they're under the weight of it, but they're angry at God. And they come in, I think I'm kind of like the customer service guy. You come in and you complain to customer service and say, hey, I don't know what God was thinking, but what on earth? What, how could? How dare? I can't believe. I thought God loved me. And you know, when you probe around in the, the story of the moment, quite often what I will hear is I ask people about, you know, what, what's it been like leading up to this for you? What's your, what's your pursuit of God looking like? What's your affection toward God looking like? When was the last time you picked up God's word and just enjoyed the presence of God and communed with him and pursued him? Most of the time in those moments, most of the time, that person will tell me, oh, I, I haven't really read my Bible. I, you know, I, I try to pray, but you know, I just don't pray much. And, and the story that they tell me is of a non-listening, I haven't heard anything exchange with God. They have been living a lifestyle where God is on a shelf. He's at a distance. They're not engaging him. They're not pursuing him. They're not affectionate toward him. And God has been trying to address that and address that and address that and address that. And suddenly now their life has had a major setback and they've gone off, if you will, into exile. And then now in that moment, God's got their attention. But can you go with me? Do you think maybe God was speaking to some of us long before these moments took place? Maybe God loves us enough to where he warms up to us in some ways that, that exile events and massive setbacks don't just come into our life. First thing, that's first thing that happens. No, I think God relates his affection and his care and his warnings and his correction and his wooing of us back to him. But there are moments where we're just not listening. And that's what happened to these guys here. So he uses this phrase, you were not listening and your, your ear was not inclined. So it's an interesting double phrase there. 
right? Because it's the same word, actually. The, the, the word translates listening and listening again, really. Uh, you are not listening and your ears were not listening. You were not inclined to listen. So there is a listening function that you and I are to tune into the voice of God. We're, we're to hear him speak to us. We're to be on speaking terms with God. God's not supposed to be so mysterious to us that there's no exchange taking place between us and God. We're, we're not only supposed to speak his language, but we're also supposed to be inclined and leaning in, hoisting our antenna to say, God, I'm, I'm listening. But God finds fault with the posture because they're not. Their, their antenna is hoisted to some, something else. They're listening. They're eager for something else. And that's what you find in verse five and six. Turn now every one of you from his evil way and evil deeds and dwell upon the land that the Lord has given to you and your fathers from of old and forever. Do not go after other gods to serve and worship them or provoke me to anger with the work of your hands and I will do you no harm. And so God says, you're not inclined toward me, but here's the giveaway. They're not inclined toward him, but they are inclined towards something. They are taking their listening and they're paying attention to certain things and they're eager to receive and they've hoisted their antennas and they've faced them in this direction and they've said, that thing, I wanna hear what you have to say. I, I wanna hear your promises. I wanna hear the life that you have for me and the hope that comes from the promises you're making in my life. I, I'm not listening to God right now. I'm listening to these things. And these things might not be the most horrible looking stuff. God uses some strong language right here. He says, turn from every one of you his evil way. Well, you know, I don't know what you've been staring at. I, I got my own list of things that I can stare at and listen for them and find my hope in them. And I don't consider a lot of them evil. But, but here's when they become evil. They become evil when they become a substitute for the unique role God is intended to play in our world. They become evil when they are an alternative to what we're called to get from God. And maybe evil feels too strong of a word for us, but it is the word the Bible uses. But where are the alternatives that exist in our lives? Where, what are the things that we turn to to find our meaning and our joy and our hope and the reason to get up in the morning and the reason why I'm excited about the month of May or this summer? Right? I mean, COVID comes along and it kind of rips the legs out of all that stuff, right? So I don't know what you had planned in May. I don't know what your April was supposed to be like. I'm not sure what your summer was supposed to look like. But this COVID thing comes along and chops the legs right out from underneath it. And it's very likely that when it did that, it just sucked all the hope and the joy out of my world. And if that is what life has felt like, I've got a question. Have I been facing these things and inclining my heart and my ears to these things in the hope of what they would bring to me? And I have put God far removed on a shelf because when COVID took these things away from me, it took my joy. It took my hope as well. And that's the condition these guys find themselves in. Listen, God uses the word evil a little differently than we do. Primarily what God is talking about when he talks about evil, he's talking about non-him stuff. It's not him. 
if he has been displaced, if he has been sinned against, he puts the label evil on things. Jeremiah earlier on, I believe it's chapter two, describes the conditions in the land. He says, my people have committed two evils. That's how God uses that word through Jeremiah. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living water, and they have, secondly, hewn out cisterns for themselves that can hold no water. Right, so God calls that two evils. Well, what does that mean? Well, God said, I'm the fountain that provides living water to your soul. I'm the one who provides the satisfaction to the thirst that's in you. And it is evil for you to forsake me. That's what God says. And then God says, the other evil is rather than looking to me on a daily basis, like a spring of water that you could go to and get fresh water every day just for what you needed that day. And you go back the next day and you enjoy that again. No, no, no. We're going to make it to where we don't need that. We're going to hewn out cisterns. A hewn out cistern was a massive hole in a rock that you could put water in. So you could get water, get water, get water, fill it up, fill it up, fill it up, and then go, I don't need you anymore. I need that. I need that cistern right there. Well, God says, well, you know, I don't know if you noticed, but your cisterns leak. And so you put all your life and your resource and what you need for living into that place, and then it drains out and you got nothing. And in God's love, God's not okay with that for any of us. He's not okay with us substituting things in place of him. And that's true because God has a plan, and that plan's a big deal to God. It's a perfect plan because God only does things perfectly, and it's a loving plan that God could not want something else for us and at the same time love us. Can you hear me say that? God has such a perfect plan for us that if he wanted or allowed something less than that, then you could say, does this God really love me? Because he's willing to let me have something less than the best. All right, so God only wants the best for us, and he's gonna go to great lengths to secure that. That's what we start in the chapter eight. I mean, I'm sorry, verse eight in chapter 25. Well, verse seven, because I don't think I read that. You have not listened to me, declares the Lord, that you might provoke me to anger with the work of your hands to your own harm. Therefore, verse eight, thus says the Lord of hosts, because you have not obeyed my words, behold, I will send for all the tribes of the north, declares the Lord. And for Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, my servant, I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants and against all these surrounding nations. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror and hissing and an everlasting desolation. Moreover, I will banish from them the voice of mirth, right? The, the celebration, the party, the voice of gladness, the voice of the bridegroom and the voice of the bride, the grinding of the millstone and the light of the lamp. This whole land shall become a ruin and a waste, and these nations shall serve the king of Babylon 70 years. Then after 70 years are completed, I will punish the king of Babylon and that nation, the land of the Chaldeans, for their iniquity, declares the Lord, making the land an everlasting waste. So this is where we learn God has assigned the 70 years of exile to these people. 
It's a radical act with some radical language in here, right? So I think I put this, if you're checking your apps in your notes there, I think I put this next to these verses. Because of your consistent life practices and your persistent resistance to me speaking to you, I will send for Nebuchadnezzar and his company. I will create conditions that are shocking. These are shocking conditions, right? Conditions that alter the routines of life. Cities and suburbs described by the words ruin and waste. Right, now listen, I am not trying to say our situation is a replication of this situation, but I am trying to introduce you to the God who speaks through the prophets to let you know God sometimes does some shocking things for his purpose and his plan to come to pass. And listen, when I watch video camera feeds from Times Square and I see one person at the edge of the frame and 30 seconds later, another person at the edge of the frame, that's shocking. This is weird. Right? I've, I've been in Times Square. There's never a moment where there's not hundreds of people just moving around in Times Square. Well, not now. Something really unusual has taken place. So in moments where God suddenly stopped, disrupts our lives in massive setback ways, what's with the extreme measures if God is involved, in, and, and without question, God was involved in this story, in this way, in their lives, he wrote it down and passed it along for all of us to learn. There are moments when God's plan is going to take a severe turn into a place that's going to get his people's attention in a massive way. And that's what he does here. Why these extreme measures? Let me just read this. I think I put this in your outline. This radical action reveals how big and important God's plans for his people are. Learn something valuable. What we call the purpose of God, I love that phrase, and it's an important one, is the most important and non-negotiable thing on planet Earth. God will not be talked out of his perfect purpose that he has created and ordained in all his perfection. Right? There's, there's just a perfect way to do things when you're the perfect God. God will not be thwarted by any opposing forces, the devil included, or any uncooperative people, even us. God will spare no expense to accomplish what he formulates and intends. God has a plan. God has a purpose. Even in our setbacks, God is insistently at work. Right Later on, Jeremiah chapter 29 Read a few verses from that chapter. This is later on. The exile has taken place. People have been taken from Jerusalem, transported a thousand miles away to Babylon. Jeremiah, who is still in Jerusalem, is going to write a letter to these exiles. And this is part of what he says to them in Jeremiah 29, verse 10. It says, For thus says the Lord, When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will visit you, and I will fulfill to you my promise and bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. I know the plans. God has plans. Plans for welfare 
and not for evil, to give you a future and a hope. Then you will call upon me and come and pray to me and I will hear you, right? That's, that's a purpose statement. Why does God have creatures like us that exist? He purposed that we would exist to call upon him, to look to him, to relate to him, to pray to him, to enjoy a relationship with him. He says, listen, in my plan, I'm going to restore that and you will do those things and I will hear you. You will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. I will be found by you. Did you know that there's a God who wants to be found by us? I know I can feel like, well, God's at such a distance. I don't feel like I hear from God. Did you know this God has a purpose that he wants to be found by us? He wants our hearts to discover him. He wants us to relate to him and enjoy his presence. That's God's purpose. I will be found by you, declares the Lord, and I will restore your fortunes and gather you from all the nations and all the places where I have driven you, declares the Lord. And I will bring you back to the place from which I sent you into exile. Right, so God is clearly saying, hey, the setback you guys are experiencing, you guys in exile in Jerusalem, the setback, um, I'm behind that. It wasn't some freak accident. It wasn't the result of the planets not aligning correctly. It wasn't a random event that you woke up on Tuesday and then Wednesday was, whoop, headed to Babylon. No more in Jerusalem. How did that happen? What does this mean? Well, nothing, just Wednesday. No, no, God clearly explains himself. He says, here's what was going on. He sends the prophets to explain, this is what was going on, and this is what I'm doing, and this is what I'm restoring because I know the plans I have for you. So can you, can you ponder that with me for a second? What does it mean for God to have plans? God has plans plans. Like that, that's different than life is just a series of random events. No, it's not. It's not. Today is not a random day. Tomorrow is not a random day. It's a specific day in the plan of God. That's how God is. Every detail, every molecule, every moment is being watched over by God for his plan to be fulfilled. So there's no randomness in this. I mean, how does this help me? For me to realize on a daily basis, God has a plan. How many of us are living our lives, I think especially of young people who've got a lot of your life in front of you, and you're feeling this pressure to create your future, right? So right now, you gotta figure out, how do I get around the right person in the right moment to get the right job, to have the right influence, to get the right money, to marry the right person, to live in the right location. Ah, man, the pressure you feel, right? To to figure your life out and to make sure you took the right steps. And then, you know, so then you're 18 and 19 and 20 and then a few years go by and the pressure and then you're 21 and 22 and 20 and then the pressure and you get in your late 20s and, and you haven't invented enough of your world yet. And you feel this massive weight upon your life of having to invent the perfect world that you haven't invented yet. And so you begin to get depressed and get overcome by that. Don't we need to be informed by this? God.
God has a plan. So, so more important than whether you can be the mover and shaker, get around the right people, manipulate your circumstances, have the right conversation with the right person who opens the right internship to the right job, more important than that is the revelation that God has a plan. And it's massively important. How many guys are living a, in a victimized world? Right? You're living today with the thought that you're the victim of what went on in the past in your life. People did the wrong thing to you and you can never now have a good life. You don't have any hope because the people who were important or the people who were significant or the people that you trusted violated something, did something wrong, failed. And so now you're living with a life that feels like I, I can't really have any hope because look what happened to me. And, and look what didn't happen to me. You know, hey, you were raised by people who did this, this, and this, and this. Understandably, you're, you're having a good life. I was raised by this. So understandably, I'm having a bad life. But what happens when you flood our reality with this truth? I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. What do we do when God steps in to people who have different stories, some good, some bad, and says, hey, I have a plan for you and for this world. That informs us, right? That's a massive thing. Because remember, these guys right here, God is declaring to them that he has a plan. The 70 years aren't done, by the way. Right? Remember the description that was there in chapter 25, verse 10? Uh, the setting here, we zoom in on where they're not because they've removed to Babylon now. The, we zoom in here and we find there's, there's no mirth. There's no gladness in the city. There's no bridegroom and bride celebrating and getting married there. There's no commerce taking place, and the lights aren't even on in their homes. And in that moment, staring at that right there, God says to these people, I know the plans I have for you. They don't see this remedied yet. All they hear is that there's a God who promised that he's got this and he's got a plan, and he's working it right now. It's a massively important thing, isn't it? Think with me for a second. Here's a scenario. A young man is sitting in a church auditorium. Let's say he's age 21. He is sitting next to a young woman who is actually in the future going to be his wife. He has grown up in a stable, loving home, middle-class environment. Life has been pretty good. Not a lot to complain about. Things are going well. He's got some challenges, but things are happening in a pretty good way, right? And he says in that moment, God is an intentional God with a plan and a purpose, right? You're listening to this message today. You could be 21 years old and you could be saying, yep, I believe that. I believe God is an intentional God with a plan and a purpose. We press the fast forward button. An older man is sitting in a hospital parking lot, waving at his wife, who is in the third floor ICU unit by herself with COVID-19 on a respirator. And this man who has worked for 25 years to own a business is on the verge of collapse and all of his employees have had to be let 
go. And that man says, God is an intentional God with a plan and a purpose for my life. Is one of them wrong? No. No. The day of flourishing in the promised land and the day that you are in Babylon with a massive setback going on, what's true about God is equally true in both of those moments. I know the plans I have for you. That, that phrase, that guarantee from God is not followed by oops. No, no, oops is not in the Bible. God never says oops anywhere in the Bible. It's not like he finds these people in exile and he says, oops, oh, forgot about that plan. Or that man standing in the parking lot watching unfavorable conditions unfold in his life and say, oops, forgot about that plan. No, no, I know the plans I have for you. Everything God is doing is being worked in this plan. Right, Ephesians chapter 1, verse 11 says this, in him we have obtained, I love that certainty, it's a certainty, we have obtained an inheritance having been predestined according to the purpose of him. God has a purpose, and he's working that purpose. Who works all things, right? So God has a purpose. He's got a plan. It's a previous plan. That's why you can use the word predestined. It's not a plan that God comes up with like every day in God's existence. He's on his heels, but he's so creative. He responds well on his heels. He didn't have any idea what would be happening today. He didn't know COVID-19 was gonna come along, but God's quick. And he, on his heels, responded, and he's doing a great job. No, 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 that's not God. God pre-sees, preordains everything that exists in this world. He's got a plan and a purpose that he is always working. He works all things, every moment, according to the counsel of his will. And God is willing to go to some drastic measures to make sure his plan comes to pass. Right? Remember that description of Jerusalem. One day Jerusalem was the center of God's promised land with all the good that God had intended. Remember he said, dwell in the land. I've got good things here for you. You're going to do business and you're going to succeed and there's going to be a land flowing with milk and honey. There's things for you to do. There's, there's enjoyable things about life. I want you to dwell there. God wanted that for his people. But they had misplaced God in the midst of that and had gone after other things. So God does something drastic in that description from Jeremiah as, Behold, I will send for tribes from the north. I will bring them against this land. I will devote them to destruction and make them a horror a hissing and an everlasting desolation. Wow. God chooses his words carefully. God did not intend for you and I to stare into Jerusalem with no lights on and all the trouble that's there and go, hmm, looks like a bad day. No, no. God put these words there. No, that looks horrifying. <sighs> We're shocked by what we see. There is desolation here. You're supposed to look at that and go, whoa, what happened? And when we find out that God is involved here, we find out God goes to some radical measures because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. 
I am willing to do radical things in your world for my purposes to come to pass. And that's what this massive setback in Jeremiah is about. But it's not the only time we hear this kind of language. In the New Testament, if you fast forward to Romans chapter 8, some of us love these verses. They're powerful verses. And, and they are bound to this idea that God has a plan and God will do radical things to make sure that plan comes to pass. Romans chapter 8, verse 31 says this. Well, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? If God is for us, well, is he or isn't he? Yes, he is, because that was his plan, to have a people that he would choose to be in close relationship with and to be for them. That's God's purpose all throughout the scriptures. So if that's true, if God is for us, if God has a plan, well, then who can be against us? He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all. How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? What is that statement saying? I love that passage. That passage helps me probably every day because it tells me to what length will God go to fulfill his purposes in my life? To what length will he go? I mean, maybe I'm so out of bounds. Maybe I've gone and done the worst possible things I could think of. And and God's not going to step into my mess. He's not willing to go that far. God's not going to do this one more time. There's limitation on how far God will go. No, no, no. This blows the lid off limitations, doesn't it? He who didn't spare his own son to fulfill his plan. The most precious thing in the universe is the relationship between Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Bible says God didn't spare his own son so that he might fulfill the purpose that he had for his creation. Is that radical or what? And then this passage further develops the idea. So, so is there anybody out there who could thwart this plan? I mean, certainly God's got an intention. He hopes it comes to pass. Or, you know, is he wishing this? Or is this a set going to happen, guarantee, bank on it moment? And he says in verse 33, well, who shall bring any charge against God's elect. It's God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Who, who out there shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress or persecution or famine or nakedness, or danger, or sword, or exile, or harsh conditions, or setbacks, or COVID-19, or losing a job, or losing our income, health problems? No, because God's got a plan, and and nothing is going to overturn that plan. God will make sure. And later in verse 37 of Romans, it says, no, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us, I'm sure that neither death nor life, angels, rulers, things present nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Why is that true? Because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. And those plans will not be overturned. But can you see here in these passages, God is pretty intense about his plan. I know you might get 
loosened up a little bit in these setback moments to see, does God really have a plan? Listen, God is not casual about his plan. And this verse is, is perhaps the most radical verse in the Bible. Now, I know that if I depict, and, and there's a lot more in Jeremiah, and you can go read. If I depict Jerusalem to you in the early 500s, the, you know, 500 after 600 BC, if I depict Jerusalem in this moment, you would be horrified. There's a lot more here. You would look at that situation and you go, I can't believe God would do that. Look at what's happening to these people. Look at the women and the children and the suffering. I can't believe God would do that. It's a little shocking that we are so much shocked by what might happen to the people in that city of Jerusalem. Are you as shocked that God would do this to his son? to fulfill his purpose. He who did not spare his own son. God thrust his own son into the worst of moments, the judgment that God had to deal with against humanity so that our sins could be forgiven and the wall of separation between us and God could be torn down and we could once again be in relationship and fellowship with him. Are you shocked that God would do that to his son? This is the most radical verse in the Bible. And God picks it up to say, you're wondering whether I'm going to come through for you? You're wondering when your situation gets bad whether I'm going to show up for you? Uh, I think I've already proven that. I put my own son into this situation so that you could be spared and brought near to me. What do you think? Am I going to show up for you? Am I going to fulfill my plans in your life? Listen, The setting for this moment in, in Romans chapter 8 comes out of a place where God explains, and I'm not going to go into this verse because I don't have the time to today, but it is on the slide here, and you can go back and read it for yourself. Romans chapter 8 begins this thought, this powerful thought that God presents later with this phrase. I consider that the sufferings of this present time, this moment, this exile moment, this COVID moment, this setback, the sufferings in this setback moment are not worth comparing with the glory that is to be revealed to us. Well, how do you know there's any glory coming? How do you know this ever gets better? How do you know there's anything good that's ever gonna come out of this? I know that because I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. That's how I know that. He says, for the creation, it waits with eager longing for the revealing of the sons of God. In other words, it waits for the plan of God to unfold. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope, right? God had a plan and he subjected the world to his plan in hope that the creation itself will be set free from its bondage to corruption and obtain the freedom of the glory of the children of God. You know, this is the, that passage there that a lot of us quote some of these passages. Perhaps a lot of us have quoted, uh, I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Uh, without thinking through, do you know where that comes from? 
You know what was going on in that moment. A lot of us quote Romans chapter 8, one of our favorite verses, is that we believe that God causes all things to work together for good for those who love God and are called according to his purpose, his plan. Why, why do things land in a good place? Why does anything travel from setback, from exile, from difficult into a good place? Because God has a plan. This God has a plan. Let me, let me just close and, and pray for us in, in, in this way. God's plan is explained in Romans chapter 8, right? God was explaining that he subjected the world in this hope that creation would get set free from something that they're in bondage to. Why did God take a group of people into exile out of the city of Jerusalem? To set them free from the things that they had turned to and become in bondage to. They, they were not living a pretty life. They were living a sinful life that was full of destruction, full of the, the, the wages of sin as they embraced idolatry in other ways, right? When they stopped lifting their antenna to God and started lifting it to something else, the, the life they learned from those voices was destroying and putting their own life in bondage. Listen, that happened then. That happened in the Garden of Eden when Adam and Eve stopped listening to the voice of God and listened to the devil. They hurled their lives into bondage. And God said, I have a plan to solve that bondage. I have a plan to get you out of the things that come into your life and control you and take over your life. And they begin to dominate you. I'm gonna subject the world to futility. I'm gonna be at work. I'm gonna exile people. I'm gonna do stuff in your world because I love you enough to set you free from those things. Now, listen, maybe you're listening today and, and your life is in bondage. Things are controlling you right now. Your life is out of control. And I, I can make a list, but just be honest. What's controlling my life? Am I controlled by fear right now? Am I controlled by food? Am I controlled by substance abuse? Am I controlled by insecurities? Am I controlled by my past where somebody stepped in and did something to me and I've never been able to live life again because I'm in bondage to the things of the past? Listen, there's all kinds of things that when God gets put on the remote shelf and we look to the wrong things, those things will begin to control us and steer our lives into one ditch after another. How about a God who loves us enough to say, hey, how about I shut the lights out? How about I turn back? How about you take a few steps back from where you are and I redirect you so that you can live in the purpose that I have for your life rather than in this bondage? I, I am grateful to be loved by a God like that and who explains himself in his word. So I don't have any problem that God may be uniquely involved in this moment right now to stop our lives in their tracks so that we might back up and get redirected. And I just want to ask you that personally. And I know this is a global pandemic, but personally, in what ways is God stopping your life right now and requiring you to back up from the way you've been doing some things? Because this is what God's after. He was not okay, right? The evil in the exile was that you have forsaken me. 
You've looked to other things. You've minimized me. You're not even interested in following me. You don't listen to me anymore, okay? We're not going into Babylonian exile, but we're living in a day where God still cares about those same exact things. How would God interact with you right now and me right now about the place that he occupies in my life? Is he my priority? Do I love him and look to him more than anything else? Is the joy and the hope of my future based in God? Or am I in bondage to somebody better be the ultimate wife or this better be the ultimate job or I better live in the ultimate house because all my hope is in that and I'm enslaved to that? No, 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 God says, don't don't put that there. Do dwell on the land. Do enjoy all kinds of things that I give you, but do not depend upon those things that way. Put your dependency upon me. And I'm so intentional about doing that that I'll send my own son. And I don't mind interrupting your world to get your attention so that you'll listen to me either. So let's just pray together for a moment. What's God want to do in this hour? And this hour is going to change. It's going to turn into something else. We're going to eventually come out of this setting. And those guys are eventually going to come out of exile in this story as well. They're going to be there for 70 years. <laughs> this isn't going to take 70 years for us. But God's doing something in these moments. And I know we're all in this together, so to speak. But there's some things particularly God's doing in you right now that are precious to him, that matter to him, because the God who loves you looks at your life and he says, I know the plans that I have for you even though it feels like you're off course and there's a setback and you, and you haven't been continuing on in those plans. This God has a plan for you. And I want to pray for us, but I want to speak specifically to the people who, like me, back in 1978, are hearing that phrase, maybe for the first time. God has a plan for your life. And so I heard that for the first time in October of 1978. And it made me curious. And I went and picked up a Bible. I'd never read a Bible before. I believed in God. I'd even gone to church lots. But I picked the Bible up, started to read it. And that Bible introduced me to this God who was very personal and wanted to be involved with me. He wasn't just some weird higher power out there, some grandfatherly figure. He wanted to be involved with me. Spoke to me about me. It spoke to me about how he loved me and had a purpose for my life. So I read for actually for months, till February of 1979. It just made sense that I wanted this God to have my life from that day forward, and and I have entrusted to Him not not perfectly, and I've made lots of mistakes along the way, but my hope got transferred in 1979. From anything I could do for me and anything anybody else could do for me, anything anybody had done to me, it got transferred to the God who had a plan for me. I bought in fully. God, you have a plan for me. I I want that. And and if you want that, there's only one way to be restored to, to the God who has a plan for you, through trusting Jesus Christ. He'll break down the barrier that our sin creates between us and God. He'll forgive us of our sins if we'll call upon him and trust in him. And if we'll transfer our hope to him, the God who did not spare his own son will come and dwell in our lives 
and let that plan be unfolding in us every day intentionally all the time. Listen, if you want to do that right now, tell God right now. Tell God, I want that. What that dude just said, I want that in my life. I'm going to open my heart to him. Let that begin today. Hey, wherever you are right now, let's just, let's just bow our heads together. Blow off the people around you. This is between you and God right now. Get quiet. Listen. Close your eyes if you've got to shut some things out right now. Just let God draw near to you, wherever you are. God, thank you. the personal voice that you speak to us when you say, I know the plans I have for you. Thank you, Lord, for the extremes that you go to for those plans to not be thwarted by any force, by any person, by any spiritual force in this world. You, who did not spare your own son, how will you not with him graciously give us all things? Lord, there's a hope on the other side of whatever this COVID moment is. We know that, not because somebody's got a cool vaccine waiting for us. Not because somebody's got an earthly plan that's gonna make it all work. No, 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 no. God, there's hope for us in this moment because we know you have a plan for us and a purpose for us. And so God, we're transferring our hope again today. We got reminded this morning, put our hope in you, whether we're in exile or whether we're in Jerusalem, whether things are going great, whether our businesses are back up and running, whether we're able to go out of our houses or not, we have transferred our hope to you, oh Lord, because we know you have a plan and you are insistent on bringing that plan to pass. For that, Lord, we say thank you. In Jesus' name. Let's respond to God in song. There is strength within the sorrow. There is beauty in our tears And you meet us in our mourning With the love that casts out fear You are working in our waiting sanctifying us when beyond our understanding you're teaching us to trust your plans are still to prosper you've not forgotten us you're with us in the fire and the flood. Faithful forever, perfect in 
imagine who could understand your ways raining high above the heavens reaching down in endless grace You're the lifter of the lowly, compassionate and kind. You surround and you uphold me, and your promises are my delight. Your plan to still the prosper. Even what the enemy means for evil, you turn it for our good. You turn it for our good and for your glory. Even in the valley, you are faithful. You're working for our good. You're working for our good and for your glory. Your plans are still to prosper. You've not forgotten us. You're with us in the fire and the flood. Faithful forever, perfect in love. You are sovereign over us. You are sovereign over us. Thank you for this word. It reminds us of your plan, Lord, it lifts our eyes like we began the service saying that we want to turn our eyes to you and see what it is that you are doing in this world and trust you and trust your faithfulness and trust your plan, that it's a plan that is going to be for our good and for your glory. Lord, we don't have to doubt that plan. We don't have to work against that plan. Lord, we can submit. Lord, we can comply to all that you're doing in our midst Lord, because you're a good God. Lord, and you have good plans that might seem in the moment like difficult plans or might seem in the moment like, like a setback, Lord, but we are, we are needing, Lord, this reminder today to, to trust you, to turn our eyes up to you and to see you as the one who has the plan, the plan that's trustworthy. Lord, to receive our worship to you, Lord, would, would you help us this week to respond or give us practical ways Spirit of God, would you right now be working in our minds and in our hearts to, to help us to, to see where it is that practically we need to respond to this word, where it is that we've been trying to make our own plans work, where, where you want us to make our effort be about coming in line with your plan. So help us, God, this week we pray for your glory, and in your name we pray. Amen. Amen. You guys have a great week, Lakeview. Look forward to seeing you soon.